Good morning, church. How are you doing? Good. I'm doing good. We're going to, uh, next week, by the way, we're going to wrap up this series, and uh, uh, you're not going to want to miss that. A good friend of mine, uh, Joe, is going to be here. Uh, Joe Eriquez heads up Heart for the City. I'm actually on their board, been on the board for years at Heart for the City, and love what God is doing through that uh, parachurch organization here, right in our Glendale community, reaching kids that are at risk taking them through all, all the way through the point of high school and doing our best to get them into Grand Canyon University, mostly through scholarships. It is an exciting thing to watch God change kids' lives. Joe's going to be finishing up this series for me next week. Do not miss it. And then let me just tell you this. As we head into June, what, what we are going to do throughout the, most of the month of June is we are going to share some stories with you, our church family. So many of us know that millennials are, are getting, getting blasted. We're, we're picking, our culture to some degree is picking on millennials. I want to share what God is doing in the heart and in the lives of some of the millennials in our church. June is going to be an encouraging, wonderful month. Let's, uh, let's dive right in here. There's a passage of Scripture in Ecclesiastes. It says this. It says, He has also set eternity in the human heart. He being God Himself. Scholars in our, in our uh, colleges and scientists are trying to tell us that religion and people have placed by fear eternity and heaven and God in the hearts of men. God says that He has placed eternity in the hearts of men. What I want to do is I want to look at this whole subject of heaven. The question this morning, the questions are all really about heaven. Kind of squeezing it down to one, to one topic and one question. I want to talk about heaven. If you remember back when we were doing the 23rd Psalm, when it got right up near the end of it, that whole subject of heaven came up, and I knew that I was going to deal with it on this later date, so I said, I'm going to deal with that in a standalone message by itself, and that's what I want to do this morning. Having done so many funerals, having been involved in people's lives, and all of us, there are points and times in our lives that, that we actually are more sensitive, and we come to the place where we would talk about death, or heaven, or hell. And so I want to touch on this subject of heaven. But what I want to do is I want to come at it from a biblical perspective. There is there, is the, there are the concepts that Hollywood gives us about heaven. There are the concepts that we think about heaven. And then there's what the Bible has to say about heaven. There are just tons of questions. Are there, are there going to be animals in heaven? The Bible actually says no cats are going to... No, the Bible actually says <laughs> that the lion will lie down with the lamb. Heaven will be, will be so different than what, and that will be even clearer but when, when I finish this morning. The lion will lie down with the, there are questions like, will we have wings like angels? The Bible does not say that at all. The Bible never says that Peter is going to be up at the pearly gates when we get in and he's going to hand us a harp and point a cloud to us to go to. That is not what the Bible says about heaven. One of the things it does say is that we will be able to travel distances quickly. 
I'm very interested in that one. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But it lays that out. It also, some people want to know if there are going to be sports in heaven. I think there are going to be some sports in heaven. Is there going to be other music in heaven besides a harp? If the only music in heaven were a harp, that would be hell, not heaven. One day of harp music and you're done. That's it. Other people have asked, will heaven be boring? Well, a couple of years ago, Starbucks was actually putting quotes and phrases that people gave on, the so, put, gave on the side of their cup. As a matter of fact, Rick Warren, they, they put several quotes from Rick Warren on some of the cups. But, but on one of the cups, Joel Steinem said this, Heaven is totally overrated. It seems boring, listening to harp music and clouds. It should be somewhere you can't, it should be somewhere you can't wait to go to, like a luxury hotel. Maybe blue skies and soft music were enough to keep people in line in the 17th century, but heaven is going to have to step it up a bit. They're basically getting by because they only have to be a little bit better than hell. I wish he was here this morning to hear what I have to say about what the Bible has to say about heaven. I want to look at Bible, I want to look at a little bit of doctrine and a little bit of theology. Paul, when he writes to the church in Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes this. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Paul says, I want you to know. You need to know this. And he turns to the church, not just in Thessalonica, but the church here and throughout the ages as, as, as believers have opened up God's Word and, and looked at this whole subject. I want you to know, he says, what it's going to be like so you can live differently. So, so you know how you can, you know why you can live. Even in the hard days, he says. Since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns... And let me say this about that. I believe that the generation on the planet right now, in other words, from the, from the oldest person to the youngest, this whole span and age that we're looking at, never before I believe in history have we ever been at the place where everything that needs to be fulfilled prophetically from the prophets and from Jesus' mouth himself, and even from the New Testament writings of Paul and John, never before, like today on this planet, has everything been fulfilled that needs to be fulfilled before Christ comes. All through Scripture, there are things noted, both in the Old Testament with the prophets, and in Jesus' conversation, and, and in other writers. There are things noted that have to happen before Christ can return. I remember for years, my, my dad would talk, the big thing for his generation was after World War II, when, when the nation of Israel once again became a nation. That was the big deal. That was one of the last things that needed to happen. But now, everything that has already been fulfilled, 
There is nothing in terms of prophecy or the words of Jesus, Paul, or, or any other writers of Scripture that, that has to yet be fulfilled. It has all taken place. Anything that has to happen can happen just like that. Just like that. Since we believe that Jesus died and was raised again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. In other words, the believers who have, have passed away, your family, my family, our friends, who were believers in Christ, and they passed away. Jesus is going to bring them back. Do you know why? He is such a relational God. Relationships mean so much to God. So much that he's actually going to cause this great family reunion that you and I will share in if we are here when Christ comes back. Or if not, we'll share it because we'll be part of the ones that come back with him. We tell you this directly from the Lord. Paul is writing here. God gave this to Paul clearly in a vision. And Paul writes it to believers. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died, our loved ones who are now with Jesus, right? For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. Let me be clear here. That is an event that will be heard by everyone, and it will be heard world, worldwide. You'll not, you won't stop in your tracks and say, I wonder what that was. It won't be that kind of thing. It, this is the trumpet call of God. So anytime you hear a loud trumpet, you ought to stop and, and, and give it some attention. won't be like that. It will be so overwhelming, clarity will be there. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Now, I specifically wanted to go through this passage because we read that and you think, wait a minute. I thought they're already with Jesus. I, I thought they're already in Him. And they are. When Paul is writing here, believers who have died will rise from their graves. He's talking about them connecting with their glorified Bodies, when you and I, when this happens, you and I, are, these bodies are not going to be what we're in. We are going to have glorified bodies. Some of you ought to be unbelievably grateful for that. Same pretty, can you imagine, same pretty face here, but just I'll be ripped and buff and everything. A glorified body body. He's that's what he's talking about here when he says rising from the grave. Souls that, that were here are, 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 and have left, they are in heaven, they are with Jesus. But they and we will be, will be united with this glorified body. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. A grand reunion by a relational God, there we will be with the Lord forever, Paul says. And then he goes on to say, he's talking to the church in Thessalonica. He's writing them a letter because they, they, were, they were off in left field on some of this stuff. And Paul's bringing them back in, in line with Scripture and giving them clarity on this subject. 
And he says, so encourage each other with these words. They lived in an era where life was cheap. People could be put to death like that. Road to Rome was lined with crosses of dead bodies. All 12 except for John did not live very long lives. So encourage each other with these words, he says. Now, on the subject of heaven, the Bible actually talks about two places. I want to make sure I give, give, give clarity to this here. The, the Bible describes, it actually describes this, and these are my words, not the Bible's, this intermediate heaven, the place that exists now. It, it's, it's actually when, when, when some of our loved ones, or maybe us, uh, who, who are believers pass away and we die on this planet, we go directly. The Bible says to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. So when we leave this planet, we will be with Jesus. And we will be in this intermediate heaven. This is about the best way that I can put it. And I'll explain it a little bit more, give you more clarity. It exists now. It's not the same as the heaven that we will spend eternity in. There's a differentiation between these two. And the Bible calls this heaven paradise. Paul actually uses that word specifically several times, paradise. Jesus used that word paradise in describing this place. You remember when he was on the cross. On either side of Jesus, there was a thief that was nailed to the cross for their crimes. Now, they weren't just low, petty thieves. These were, these were horrible criminals, both of them. They got into a discussion between themselves all about the guy in the middle. And the, the guy on one side actually believed that Jesus was who he says he was. And the guy on the other side was mocking him for believing that and not believing that himself. And the guy on this side turns to Jesus and he believes that Jesus is who he said he was. And then this conversation starts in Luke chapter 23. Then he said, meaning the thief on the cross, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And Jesus uses that word. So if that's one heaven that the Bible talks about, what is this other heaven? That's what I really want to look at. Because the Bible digs in on this. This paradise is a temporary place that you go to before you go to the other place. But, but I thought when, you, when I die, I, I go to my mansion in the sky. You see, we get that word mansion. It's only used in the King James Version. That's the only translation that it's used in. But it, it's used in that translation. I, I, I believe it is not really the best translation. All, most other translations, would Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. 
or our many places. They don't use the word mansion because that word mansion in the Greek is the word moan. And that word actually means a temporary lodging place. And so when we read King James Version, we kind of get this idea of we're going to our mansion in the sky and, and that's not what, other, what, what, the, what the origin of the language tells us. And let me just drop this in here real quickly. See, all the translations of the Bible that you and I have, the, the Revised Standard Version, the New International Version, the ESV, there's so, there's so many different translations. Uh, so many uh, college professors are, are telling us that that what happened with the Bible is there was the, the, the original version and then it gets translated differently and, and translations keep happening and it's like, it's like playing that old game of telephone. By the time you get to the end, it's a different story. Than, than, so, so the Bible we have now is different from what, what it was originally and that is absolutely not the truth. The King James Version, every other version, and we have many of them that have been given to you and I, and trans every single one of them have been translated from original documents. All of them lay right with each other. The differences are so minuscule, and they're all from original documents. But this word moan is different. It, it means, uh, it, the, and my words, not the Bible's, it means a resort a resting place, a place of refreshing. It's what heaven is now until the other place is ready. So what is the other place? And the Bible talks a lot about the other place. It, it calls it a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. Jesus, in his own conversation, he said this. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. The Bible talks about this new heaven and new earth. Revelation 21 verse 1 says this. Then I saw, this is John writing, God gives John a vision of what heaven is like and gives him a whole bunch of details about end times and about heaven. You can read the book of Revelation. In the latter part of the book of Revelation, he talks about heaven. So he says here, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And this is not the only... Through Scripture, we are given this concept of a new heaven and a new earth. Heaven actually comes down to earth. The Bible says that the earth will be purified by fire. It will return to its original state, the Garden of Eden. God will take the earth and bring it back to its original state in the garden where you and I, as believers in heaven, we will enjoy all of God's creation in its perfection, we live in a world where we live in a world where the fall has taken its toll. We have sin in our world because of the fall. But in that day, he will bring a new heaven and a new 
earth. And then the Bible in this, in talking about the new heaven and the new earth, it talks about a city, the new Jerusalem. We do not know if this new city of Jerusalem is going to be where the original Jerusalem is or not geographically. We just don't know that. Some scholars think that that, that is likely to be what God does, but we just don't know that. But we, you know what we do know the Bible tells us? Is that this city, this new Jerusalem, will be so bright from, from His face. It, won't, it doesn't even need the sun because the light and the brightness from His face brightens the whole city. A couple things I want you to write down. Let's dig into heaven here real quickly. Heaven is a real place. Heaven is a real place. It's not a state of mind. It's not a mystical sense of peace. It's not even a mystical retirement. Some people put heaven and retirement together. It's, it's not even a mystical retirement place. The Bible says that it is a real place. And it actually measures it in, in, in Revelation chapter 21. Look what he says here. The city was found to be a square this, this new city that he's talking about, it's actually shaped like a square. It's, it's not flat. It's, 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 we think in terms of three-dimensional. God is not limited to three-dimensional. Most Bible scholars clearly believe that this city will at least be four-dimensional, if not more than that. The city was found to be a square as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were 1,400 miles each. This is a city, the city of God that he is talking about here. He goes on to describe it, John does. Streets of gold. The construction materials are things that we would look at as priceless jewels and metals. And he gives detail on that. He talks about the, the city gates being a single pearl. I, I, I can't wrap my brain around that. And he goes on to give detail. And he says, a beautiful new earth and a beautiful new city, heavenly city, where Jesus himself dwells in this city. And we will be able to go back and forth from them. Heaven is a real place. Second thing is heaven is a right place. Everything in heaven will be right. I don't even think the word wrong will be in our vocabulary. Everything will be right. No sickness. You won't need insurance in heaven. Amen. You won't have traffic on I-10. There won't be pollution. There won't be politics. There won't be terrorism. Chick-fil-A and In-N-Out and Dunkin' Donuts will be open all the time. A new heaven and a new earth. And look what he said. I absolutely love this passage of Scripture. Revelation 21, verse 4. I heard it first when I was a little kid. And then year after year, time after time, I heard it over and over and over again. And, and my mind is saturated with this very thought. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain. 
for the order for the old order of things has passed away there will be a new heaven and a new earth over the years i've heard people say you know i'm, I'm not heaven may be great but i'm not ready to go yet man you don't know heaven and i really don't know heaven but i know who's creating it and we just have a glimpse as we look at this world and the skies beyond, a glimpse of what the Creator has done. And then the damage that sin has done to that. And societies always on a downward climb, always on a point to failure. And yet the old will pass and He will bring a new heaven and a new earth. The third thing, it's a relational place. Our Creator wanted relationships so much with us, with His creation, that He created this entire earth and these skies to be a place so that He could have relationship with us. This was His idea, His design. So intentional. And the Bible says he's going to do it again. But he's not going to let it get destroyed. It's a relational place. You've got to remember, the scripture talks about Jesus being the groom, waiting for his bride. That's us, the church. Desperately wanting relationship. And yet the heavenly father, God is saying, hang on, just wait, be patient. There are more people that I want to get as my bridegroom. There are more that I want. Be patient. It's a relational place. Look what Revelation 22.2 says this. On each side of the river, this is John writing, God reveals this to him. On either side of the river stood the tree of life. Do you remember the tree of life from the Garden of Eden? He's looking at the new earth now. On either side, the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. These things will not be boring. And leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The original word there for nations are people groups. That's the word that we get ethnic from in our culture. All kinds of different people groups. He's talking about the tree for the healing of... See, with, in our culture so much is divided and divisive. He's concerned with the healing of that. Bringing all the people together. All the different groups Number four, it's a place for rewards. The Bible says he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. When I stand before the Lord, I just want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You accomplished the things that I had for you to accomplish. Revelation 22, 12, Jesus says, look, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon, and my reward is with me. He doesn't even say, I'm coming soon to get you, and when we get back to, I'll have your reward there. He says, no. He says, I'm bringing the reward with me. 
He loves to reward his children. We used to go on mission trips to South America, and, and we used to bring bags of candies. Because the kid, little kids never had, they didn't have so, and we would love giving them candy. They, they, it, 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 was, it was a great experience. God loves to reward his children. So what do we do here and now? First thing we do is, is I, I refocus my life. In, in other words, I leverage my time and I leverage my stuff in light of who he is, what he's doing, and not where I am now, but where I'm going to end up. Matthew puts it this way, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. He says, don't stare up, store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy. I can't tell you how many times I put on a shirt only to realize there was a hole in it because a moth got to my shirt. And because there was a hole right there where everybody was going to see it, I had to take it off and throw it away. I'm not complaining, I'm just saying. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. He gives us real clarity there. You say, well, James, doesn't God want us to enjoy? God absolutely wants you and I to enjoy this life, and I think we ought to do our absolute best at that. I think we ought to live our lives to enjoy it to the fullest. But all that time, keeping in mind that he has a greater purpose for our lives than we are thinking about. And making sure that that is what we are accomplishing. When Paul writes to the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians, he writes this. He says, so, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Paul says, wait a minute, you, you've got, as we're living our lives, you've got to stop and think about this, and you've got to remember that. In other words, every day we focus on not just where we are, but we also focus on where we are going. So I refocus my life, and why do I do that? I do, those, do that so I can reach people. And why do I reach people? Because that's what Jesus asked us to do, all of us in this room. He asked his followers to reach people, to share, to be his witnesses. What, what motivates? What motivates me to do that? What motivates you to do that? Church, when I, think about, when I think about the fact that heaven and hell are real places and people are going there, that is motivation. Every one of us is designed to live forever. The question is, where? So as a church, we want to do all that we can do. Make our lives about the one thing that's not going away, and that's people.
Camelback is not just for us. Camelback, is, you see, we found God, but, but now, now he says, listen, there are people in your lives, and we need to reach as many as we can. There's a little tiny book in front of the book of Revelation. It's called the Jude. I want you to look at a passage of Scripture from Jude. Because Jude was one of Jesus' brothers. See, there was, James was Jesus' brother, but there was another brother called Jude. And both James and Jude left this planet knowing that Jesus Christ was not only their brother, but after the resurrection, they knew without a doubt that he was their Lord and their Savior. That he was the Son of God. That he was who he said he was. And look what he said. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear. In other words, make sure they understand the truth. Hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Do you know what Jude is saying? He's saying, church, we have got to hate the sin, but love the sinner. Because that's what Christ did for us. He knew. He knew the results and the damage that sin does in our lives. And he hates that. He hated that so much, he let them nail him to a cross. So there could be a way to take care of that and overcome that. Hate the sin and love the sinner. You know, if you're here and this is your first time here, let me just tell you this. We are no better than you. We just got here ahead of you. That's all. Because all of us have hang-ups. We've messed up. Some of us still have some loose screws. Some of us still have cracked pots. We are not perfect people. But we were lost, and now we're found. And, and we, are t we are in this family. And people last forever. So finally, what do I do? I renew my relationship with God. Every day, renew my relationship with God. Second Peter, Peter puts it this way. He says, but in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to happen. We're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. In other words, everything is right. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. In other words, follow Christ. Follow Christ with your heart. Accept Him as your Savior. And reach out to those around you, inviting them. Let's do a song together. Let's get our team up here. As we do a song, stand with me this morning. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, I'd encourage you. Let me tell you how simple it is. And you may have already done it in your heart. It's a matter of believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he let them nail him to a cross to pay for your sins and to pay for my sins. And not only did he do that, 
They took him down. They took his body down. Put it in a grave. And three days later, he rose from the dead, proving without a doubt that he was the son of the living God, paying the price for our sins. By believing that, you're accepting Christ as your Savior. And if you do that, you're a part of his family. You're one of his children. You're part of our spiritual family. And then as believers, he calls us to share that with other people. If there's one prayer that I pray for our church family, is that we get better at sharing. Because heaven and hell are real places. And people are going there. And we have the truth of who Jesus is to share. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for heaven. Thank you for creating that place for us. Lord, I pray for this, our entire church family and this group here this morning. And let me just ask you this. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, I'd, I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed. And if, you, if you've done that this morning and you'd like to do that this morning, simply just for my benefit, put your hand up and put it right back down. Do that. Yes, 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 yes. Lord, your word says that all of heaven rejoices when one comes into your family. And we, we celebrate those hands that went up this morning. Father, not just for heaven, but even our lives here. Bless us, Lord, now as we worship you with our song. In your name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.